1994, a guy by the name of Donald Gardner was teaching elementary school in New York. And it was Christmas time. And he asked his kids, what do you guys want for Christmas? And he noticed that all of them had a lisp. And when they answered, all of them had a lisp because all of them were missing at least one tooth. So later that day, he went back and he sat down. And in about 30 minutes, he wrote a song that became very popular that we still sing today. We know about, you know what that song was? All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Exactly. What do you want for Christmas? Have you thought about it? You've probably been thinking about it a little bit. As a matter of fact, it was about 1994, almost 30 years ago, that Mariah Carey wrote and recorded and sang. I don't know if she wrote or not. She recorded and sang probably one of the most popular Christmas songs of all time, if not the most important one or the most popular one. Uh, You remember what that one is? All I want for Christmas is is you, right. Very good. Y'all are right on top of this. I actually saw her uh, watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And at the end of the parade, she rides out on a float and she sings this song. And I thought, you know, for a 78-year-old woman, she looks amazing. <clears throat> she's not 78. And, and she's not going to be watching this. So I, we don't have to worry about any of that. She's actually 52 now. But 24, you know, years old and she's singing, all I want for Christmas is you. So it wasn't about presents. It wasn't about lights. It wasn't about anything else. She just wants to be with the one she loves. What about you? What do you want for Christmas? Most of us would probably be very happy with something tangible. Like women, jewelry is always nice, right? Uh, men, like if you've got a new air compressor, you'd probably be very happy with that. I was looking on Amazon. The most popular gift this year for people to get is, your, I hadn't thought of it, a rechargeable hand warmer. You know, that's the most popular gift on Amazon this year. But probably we've always thought, you know, if I, whatever it is, I'll be happy. If it's something nice, something I can get in my hands. But I think if you really asked people and you said, what do you really want? Now, what do you really want for Christmas? What do you really want? They probably wouldn't say something tangible. They'd probably say, well, what I'd really like is some peace. What I'd really like is some joy in my life. What I'd really like is some, some happiness or what I'd really like is some hope. Christmas is supposed to be such a special time, but there's just so much going on or so much going wrong that we don't know if Christmas is going to be memorable for all the right reasons or all the wrong ones, right? Maybe for some of us, with inflation and the economy being the way it is, money's already tight, and just Christmas makes it worse. Or maybe for some of us, we're dealing with our crazy family, wondering, what's Christmas going to be like this year with my crazy family? Maybe for some of us, this season is always really hard. Because there's a loved one who passed away around this time, or this is our first Christmas without that loved one who's always been there. And this time of the year, or this year, is just difficult. Today, let's look at how what a lot of people really could use for Christmas is hope. What kind of hope are we talking about? We're not talking about a feeling. Like, we're not talking about this random thought. Like, for a student to say, yeah, I really hope I make a good grade on this test. Or I really hope everything is going to be okay. That's not, the kind of talk, that's not the kind of hope we're talking about. What we're going to be talking about can be defined as a trustful expectation that God will do what God promises he will do. A hopeful expectation that God will do what he promises he will do. For example, someone says, I hope I get a raise. Now that's one kind of hope. 
But it's totally different if in November your boss comes to you and he says, starting in January, because you've been killing it, you're going to get a raise. You're going to have a different kind of hope. That's based on the expectation of what your boss has promised he will do. It's the expectation that he's going to take care of you. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. It's not some feeling. It's not just some thought. It's based on something that God says he's going to do. Our focus verses today are taken from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can just turn to page 657. I'm going to have some probably periods where I have a coughing fit. So just bear with me. So if you want to, if you want to follow along in your Bible, hold on. (coughs) If you want to follow along in your Bible, or if you want to follow along up on the screen, you can do both. All right. Give me one more second. All right. What we see in Matthew 1 is that there is hope for ordinary people in troubled times. You and I are just ordinary people in troubled times. Would you agree? We look at the climate in our nation. We look at the politics. We look at the economy. We just aren't sure what to believe. We look at our family and we look at our kids and we think, what kind of world are they going to grow up in? We look at things like our health or the health of others, and we say, man, I just really hope they get better. In so many ways, on so many levels, we're just ordinary people living in troubled times. And that's the kind of world that Jesus was born into, a troubled world. Let's look at our folks' verses. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph were just ordinary people. They were two young kids preparing to get married They came from an ordinary place, Nazareth. One author compared Nazareth to Tupelo, Mississippi. Just an ordinary place. Not the kind of place where you'd expect royalty to come from. He was an ordinary carpenter. He worked with his hands. She was an ordinary Jewish girl. She loved the Lord, but she wasn't perfect. She wasn't sinless. She was a young girl. She wasn't a goddess. But she was highly favored in God's eyes. And God saw something inside of her that was special. Even though no one else probably saw anything in her that was out of the ordinary. And God had a plan for them. Because of the unexpected discovery of her pregnancy, these were troubling times for them. I've always tried to imagine, maybe have you ever done this too? You've tried to imagine what that conversation was like between Mary and Joseph when Mary broke the news to Joseph that she was pregnant. Like, I've always imagined her going something like, hey, Joseph, I've got great news. I'm pregnant, but don't worry. It's God's son. I wasn't with anybody else. Can you imagine how that would have gone over? I don't think that that's how it went down. I think he pro- she probably said, you're ne- going to need to sit down for this. I've got something to tell you. And when she told him that she was pregnant and the baby growing inside of her was from God and that she was still a virgin, he didn't believe that. Would you? That just goes to show how ordinary 
Mary was. Joseph thought it was more likely that she had been an unfaithful fiance than she was going to be the virgin mother of the son of God. That's how ordinary she was. Now, Joseph had options. One option was the worst option. He couldn't think of that. But the worst option was he could have her stoned. Jewish law allowed it. When you were engaged to be married, if you were with another man or you were with a woman and you were an engaged man, you could be stoned. He could have gone through the marriage anyway, but he wasn't going to do that. He didn't trust her anymore. But the other option, the one he chose, was to send her away quietly and divorce her. Even though they weren't officially married, completely married, engagement was a little bit different back then. When you got engaged, it was the same as being married. You were legally bound to that person. The final step of the marriage process was all that was left, and that was the consummation of their marriage. But if you wanted to break off the engagement, you had to provide a certificate of divorce. It was already legally binding, so you had to submit a divorce certificate. And that's what Joseph was going to do. But at just the right time, God stepped in. An angel appears in a dream to Joseph, and he tells him not to be afraid to take Mary as your wife that she is telling the truth, the child growing inside of her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. You see, at just the right time, God stepped in. At just the right time in this world, God decided to send his son. At just the right time, he chose Mary, an ordinary Jewish girl, to be the mother of the son of God. At just the right time, Joseph was about ready to send her away, but God sent an angel to change his mind. At just the right time, God steps in. God doesn't abandon ordinary people in troubled times. One of my pet peeves, and I used to do this when I was younger, was I used to pray this prayer and I thought, why am I praying this prayer? And so today it's one of my pet peeves still. You know what the prayer that is? It's when I hear somebody pray, God be with us. That's a pet peeve of mine. You know why that is? Because God is always with us. God is always with his people. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes with you and before you, and he will never leave or forsake you. It's like, we don't have to pray God be with us. God is always with his people. Now, it doesn't mean that sometimes things won't get worse or that everything is going to turn out just fine. What it means is that we aren't alone. God is always with us. He's never going to abandon us. He's never going to leave us alone on our own. So there's no need to be afraid. I think some of us probably hear that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year and we roll our eyes. We roll our eyes because of the reality of what's going on in our life. And we know, hey, I was dealing with this before Christmas. I want to be dealing with this after Christmas. Most wonderful time of the year, yeah, but it doesn't fix anything. But what Christmas does remind us is that God sent his son, Jesus, to be with us in spite of all the things we're going through. He stepped in at just the right time. He always does. Because of the birth of Jesus, there is hope for those who struggle with sin. There's hope for those who struggle with sin. A few years ago, I was preaching in a church in Kentucky, and a mom in our church asked me to go visit her daughter in the hospital And I'd never met her daughter before, but I said, yeah, I'd be glad to go. I walked into the the hospital and 
met her sister and her. And really what was going on is she was dealing with some health issues already as a young woman. She's probably in her late teens. And she also had a permanent issue she was going to be dealing with. So she was pretty, pretty bitter. And she was keeping God at a distance. But I walked in and introduced myself and told her her mom had asked me to come visit with her. And she kind of gave me a frown and she said, oh, mom sent you. I see. And that didn't bother me at all. I knew that she probably, if she had the choice, do you want a pastor to visit you? She'd have probably said no, but that doesn't bother me when, when somebody's attitude is like, yeah, the pastor's here. But we talked a little bit about what she was going through and I could just tell she was hurting. I mean, she was broken down emotionally like anyone else would be. And the doctors are coming in and asking her all kinds of questions and people were poking and prodding her and drawing her blood. And there's just so much going on. And she just, in a moment of transparency said, I just want to get the blank out of here. And then she looked over at me and she said, sorry, Reverend. (laughs) And I said, oh no, no need to apologize. And by the way, it's just Barry, not Reverend. No titles are necessary, just Barry. I said, it's okay. But we talked for a little while longer and then it was time for me to leave. And I, I, I thought I'm going to do something I don't normally do with a young person I've just recently met, particularly a, a young woman, is I went and I sat on her bed beside her and I leaned in really close and whispered to her, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I've used that word before too. It's been a long time. It's been a really long time since I've used that word, but I've used that word too. And then we prayed together. Now, why did I do that? I just wanted her to know. Because in some ways, when you're a pastor or you step in a in a hospital room, you're kind of representing God. I'm not God, but I'm I'm a representative. And I wanted to lean in close in spite of what she had said, because That's just what God does. In spite of our sin, God leans in close and he says, I understand. And I wanted her to know that she was cared for and loved and valued. We all are. And the good news is that Jesus came to bring people like us, people like you and me, hope in spite of our sin. The angel says to Joseph, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Do you know why things like peace and hope and happiness or joy or some kind of inner feeling of, okay, things are going well here, why that's so elusive? Those things are elusive because we're flawed. We have this nature within us that is drawn toward filling a vacuum that we have in our heart. And, and these things are elusive because we like, we go to other things rather than to, to the one who offers us peace and love and, and hope. See, there is something inside of you and me, our nature that works against us. Romans seven eighteen, Paul says, I, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in this nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. We are all born with this natural bent towards sin. And each of us, if we choose to, won't do what's right. Even though we know we should, we will do what's wrong. And that choice 
That choice to satisfy that nature is sin. And the results of sin are things like pain and hurt and distress and fear and confusion and brokenness and loneliness. And we don't like to admit it, but we struggle with sin. And unless something is done with our sin, sin is going to do a sin. But the angel says to Joseph, she'll give birth to a son. And he will save his people from their sins. Do you know what the name Jesus means? Do you know what the name Jesus means? It really means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. That's what Jesus really means for those who Christ saves. What is he saving us from? He's saving us from our sins. That's why he was born. He's born to save us from sin, not to condemn us of sin. When my now 19-year-old daughter, Aubrey, she was up on stage today. She was standing right here. She had the hat on. That's my daughter. And when she was like in elementary school, I was taking her to drop her off. And she was six at the time. And we just turned into this neighborhood. And it was one of these nice neighborhoods where they decorate really well for Christmas. And there's lights everywhere and all kinds of Christmas decorations. And because she was only six, I couldn't remember what she had taken with her from the last year. Like, right? Like what, what she had remembered from years before, whether she remembered it was about the birth of Jesus or getting presents. I, I just, I just didn't know. So I asked her, I said, Aubrey, is Christmas about getting or giving? And she answered giving. And I thought, oh good, we're one for one. <laughs> and then I said, Do you know who gave the greatest gift of all at Christmas? I just wanted to go a little deeper. Do you know who gave the greatest gift of all at Christmas? And Aubrey said, God said, oh, good. She's two for two. So I decided to ask one more question. And I said, so what did God give? But She didn't give the answer that I was expecting. She said, love. See, I expected her, her to say Jesus, but she instead said love. But she got the answer right. And, and it's almost like there was almost like a little tear, you know, coming down my, you know, for your six-year-old daughter to really get it in a way that was just beautiful. I thought, she gets it. There's so many people who don't get it. They think, look at what I've done. Like, look at all the, look at all the things that I've done wrong in my life, all the things I've done and thought and said. And look at, why would God want to do anything for me? Why would God want anything Why God want to have anything to do with me? But God showed his love in spite of our sin by sending his one and only son to be born and to live and die for our sin. First John 4, 9 and 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son to the world so that we might have eternal life. God sent his son so that we could have eternal life. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sin his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. God loved us in spite of our sin. So he sent his son Jesus so we could live forever. And how do we live forever? It's right here because he takes away our sin. Jesus came so that we could have hope in spite of all the things we've done, in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness and shame. Jesus came anyway. And finally, we see that the birth of Jesus brings hope for those who want to see God. Let's look at our focus verses. It's the final words, the angel and the response of Joseph. Verses 22 through 25 say, 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And look what Joseph does. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I think a lot of people wish, man, I wish I could just see God. Have you ever thought that? I wish I could just see God or I just wish I could hear his voice. That would be fantastic. Well, what we see is that Jesus is the clearest image of God the world has ever seen. Colossians calls him the image of the invisible God. It's like that's a, you know, one of those things where it's like, okay, wait, he's the image of the invisible? Absolutely. Do you want to know what God is like? You want to know what God, how God acts, how God loves people, how God treats people? You look to Jesus. And there's three things in these focus verses that point to Jesus being God in the flesh. So this is how we can know that he's God. The first thing the angel said was his coming was prophesied hundreds of years before he was even born in the Old Testament. You see, we we don't understand the Bible sometimes completely. We sometimes think the Bible is like the Old Testament law, and then you have the Gospels about the birth of Jesus, and you got the other stuff. But really, the whole Bible is about Jesus starting in the Old Testament. The message of the Old Testament is Jesus is coming. A Messiah is coming. And then you get to the Gospels and you see, wow, Jesus has come. And then the rest of the Bible is all about Jesus is coming again. It was God's plan all along to send Jesus. We start reading about it in the Old Testament. And that's what the angel says, starting in Isaiah. How can we know? The Old Testament prophecies point to it. How can we know? He's going to be born a virgin. That's what Isaiah 7.14 says. The virgin would be with child and give birth to a son. Think about it. If Jesus was born of a virgin, don't you, don't you think that makes him unique in all of history? Absolutely. You know, it's like if Jesus was actually born of a virgin, that makes him unlike any other person who ever walked the earth. And our folks are to say that the angel says they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, folks, God didn't just create this world. He didn't just like create it and then spin it up and sit back to watch it like spin around like a top. I mean, what God did was he created. He created the universe. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. He created everything in the sky. He created the earth. He created the plants and animals that we see around us. And then he created you and me. But did he just then just sit back and go, okay, I'm staying out of the stand out of it from here on out? No. 2,000 years ago, he stepped in. He stepped in and became a baby. He became a zygote, you know, that little thing. He became a baby. He became human. He became Emmanuel, God with us. And the struggles we have, like from just being human, those natural struggles, he understands exactly what it's like. You go, how could he understand? That's what the Bible says, because he was human. He understands temptation just like you and I do. He just was without sin. So he knows the pressure. He knows the stress. He, knows, he understands the, the challenge of fear and confusion. He understands all the things we understand. God with us. He's our hope. I heard about a family who was vacationing out at the lake one summer, and dad had been working out in the boathouse And two of his sons, a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old, were out playing around. And the 12-year-old is supposed to be watching the 3-year-old, but 
The 12-year-old got distracted, and the three-year-old saw that shiny aluminum boat, that shiny aluminum fishing boat at the end of the dock. And so he kind of walked to the end of the dock, and he put one foot in the boat. But of course, he was too small and too little, and he fell in the water. He didn't know how to swim. The 12-year-old lets out a scream. Dad comes running, jumps in the water, trying to see his son, but it's just so murky. The, it's only about five or six feet deep, but he just can't see. It's just so much water and stuff has been stirred up. Goes up, catches his breath, goes back down. Starting to feel along the bottom. Once again, only five or six feet deep, but can't feel his son. And he's getting frustrated and very anxious. But on his way up to get another breath of fresh air, his arm rubs against something. And his three-year-old son is hanging onto one of the posts of the dock underwater. And the father unprizes his hands and arms from around the post of the dock. And they go up and they break through the water and they both grab some fresh air. And when the adrenaline stopped surging and the nerves had calmed down a little bit, the father said, son, what on earth were you doing? Staying underwater, holding onto that dock. And the little boy said, I was just waiting for you, dad. Just waiting for you. Now, is that story true? No, probably not. Let's just be honest. Somebody made up that story just to, emo- to get an emotional response. But it is an allegory. It does tell us an important truth, or it reminds us of an important truth. Christmas reminds us that 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe left the glory and splendor of heaven, a place where there was no pain, no death, no sorrow, no grief, a place where he was worshipped. And he entered this world as a baby. He plunged into this dark, murky world on a rescue mission. A rescue mission for all of those of us who are drowning in sin. A rescue mission for all of us who are barely hanging on because we don't have much hope. A rescue mission for all of us who are lost in the darkness. A rescue mission for all of us looking for hope. And you and I need hope. You and I need Jesus. I guess the question is, what are we going to hold on to? Are we going to hold on to other things? Or are we going to let go of those things and hold on to him? I guess that's the choice all of us get to make. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you thanking you for what you've done. By sending your son, Lord, we have hope. All of us. Those who don't know what the future looks like, those who are concerned about the future, those who are worried about their sin, those of us who are dealing with tough times, just one thing after another, Lord, you've come so that we could have hope. And for that, we give you thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.